You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. Because there was this vast conversation within the country, and that led to these changes in politics that led to these changes in law. To me, that's the social construction of law. And that's not either a natural rights view or a positivist view, and it's very grounded in in communities and, and, and in the stories of and those in the stories of those communities. And you can't get there without asking for those stories. No, and if law, which I think lawyers do all the time, ignores that social grounding, then you have this, I think, very very thin, sort of pathetic, very rigid, and incurious view of what law is all about, as opposed to what I think it could be, and to a large degree what it is, but we don't really talk about it very much. Coming to you from the studios at Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. Palma Strand is a professor of law and a member of the faculty at the Negotiation and Conflict Resolution Program at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska, where she also directs the 2040 Initiative, an effort to look at the effects of large-scale demographic trends on law and politics. She's also co-founder and research director of CIVITY, an organization that helps community leaders strategically transform their communities to understand and celebrate differences across race, class, culture, and politics. And she's affiliated faculty at the Stanford Institute for Research in the Social Sciences. Who better to ask about curiosity (laughs) and the law? Before I get there, though, I have a confession to make. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. And I've taken the Curiosity Profile Quiz, featured on the Encyclopedia Britannica's Curiosity page, several times now, and each time I get a different result. (laughs) This may say as much about the instrument as it does about me, but I mention it here because I think it's entertaining to take these quizzes and see if the outcome in any way resembles the people we think we are. And you may want to try it as well. It's at curiosity.britannica.com. No matter what my purported profile, I have ricocheted between varying shades of artist and explorer, most often tipping toward explorer and thus grouped with the likes of Anthony Bourdain and Amelia Earhart, I am always in the intuitive column. That's intuition as opposed to investigation in this profile, which is an intriguing juxtaposition in the curiosity context and something I want to think a little bit more about. I can't tell you the provenance of the Britannicus profile or whether it's in any way validated, but I will say certain elements ring true. Part of the Explorer profile reads, the Explorer likes to learn about many different things and challenge themselves to try new things. The Explorer appreciates people who can guide them along the way, and they are willing to guide others. And that seemed about right. Britannica even offers some follow-up activities, what they call curiosity challenges for each profile. Number one on the Explorer's Challenge list is find a person who inspires you and learn more about their story. Which brings me to Palma. I've watched Palma's work for more than 25 years. Few people manage the rich mix of intellectual rigor and civic conscience evident in her work. 
For those of you who've been listening for some time, Palma's name might ring familiar as one of the co-founders of the Challenging Racism Program here in Arlington. So this is my chance to learn about someone I really admire. How cool is that? Welcome, Palma. Well, what an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just tickled to have you here and have this opportunity to kind of revisit some of the conversations we've had off and on. For a long time. For a long time. For a long time. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So I wanted to do this conversation about curiosity in the law, in part because I think, you know, in our popular culture, lawyers have this reputation or they're portrayed as sort of always asking questions. They're, you know, interrogating witnesses. They're posing interrogatories. And yet, Your first reply (laughs) to me was that the laws do a great degree about curbing and or channeling curiosity. So tell me more. Yeah, I I think that I think I stand by my original reaction. I no longer teach law, um, although I do still teach law students. And I think that that law students come in to law school um, and they're a creative bunch. A lot of them are budding writers. I think I think in a different economy, a lot of them would be really fabulous high school um, social studies or English teachers. Mm. You know, they want to write, you know, there's always this like, I want to write a book, I want to write a novel. And they care about things like justice and, um, and law school beats a lot of that out of them. Mm. And you know, I've watched that for I watched that I have taught law for more than ten years. And I think that there's I mean, there's there's some kind of process things about law. Law is about controlling your environment to a lot large extent. It's about, you know, you think of the rules of evidence, for example. It's not, you know, tell us a story about what happened. It's, at what point did this, you know, the, the, it's very confined, and then the opposing counsel um, objects. No, 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 that's not relevant. That's not relevant. Well, who, you know, it's so. <laughs> so or, this this little nugget of information is not relevant. We discard that. So we just, never about the thread between them. It's Always never about, about the, the thread between them, and why yeah. did the person bring that into the story? And maybe that's actually important. Um, to the person who is telling, who is recounting the story. And then you have the fact that people who are telling their stories are actually never allowed to fully tell their stories because it's always, it's always guided by the lawyer who is, you know, determining what, what the destination is in terms of fitting in with the law. So I think that just from a process point of view, law is very much about um, taking a kind of an unruly plant and, (laughs) And trimming it into, you know, a kind of a, okay, so we know that there are, you know, there's this kind of argument and this kind of argument and this kind of argument. And so we're going to channel it into one of those. Huh. Law um, is bonsai. Law is bonsai. So that's kind of one one way of thinking about it. Another way I've actually done, um, I taught a class with a colleague at Creighton last, last spring. We were doing a seminar on how law is very exclusionary, mm-hmm. that, that law's intrinsic nature is to be exclusive. And you think about the nation state, which is really kind of a, a very exclusive concept. It's like, so, so there's us, and we are in the nation state. You know, we are the citizens of the state. 
And then there's everybody else, and we, you know, we exclude them. And law is really, historically, law is the creation of the nation state. And law is about, you know, so, so there's us and, and, right. and, like, what we do. And, and you think about historically, even in the United States, you know, law historically was about white men with property, and then everybody else who wants to be included has to, like, kick and scream. And a lot of law is about people kicking and screaming to become part of that club. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I think about how incurious can you be to create a system in which uh, there is the, you know, the, the group that, that counts. And then to not really be particularly interested in those people who don't count. So so historically, that's been people kind of inside, you know, who were excluded from a internal point of view. But now, you know, it's like, so, so, so now it's we exclude people who are not, you know, officially citizens. And even though we live in this globally interconnected world. So it's a, it's a, as a construct, law is very much about I think about not being curious, about about curbing our curiosity. Is there a, you know, I talk a lot on this show about different definitions of curiosity. Is there actually a legal definition of curiosity? I mean, does it, is it a concept in the law? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And it's not even, it's not only does it not have a definition, but it's not even a concept. No, it's not a, it's not a concept. And actually, a discipline. So, it, so, so the, you know, the field that I, that I now work in, which is kind of the conflict engagement field, not even really resolution, because now conflict, you know, there's a realization that not all conflict is about resolution, that it's about how do you, how do you stay with conflict? How do you manage conflict? How do you live with, navigate? Um, but, but conflict is a lot about curiosity, right? Conflict is about, okay, so so rather than sort of us going to somebody who's going to channel our bonsais into, you know, we're going to we're going to try to figure out how how this grows. And so a lot of conflict is about so where like what is your story and what is my story and how do those stories overlap what you know how do they inform each other how do they how do they how are they in tension with each other mm-hmm. how can we learn to live with that tension how can we uh, find the potential creativity in that tension and that's true interpersonally but it's also true um, at at a community level mm-hmm. and and so but that but those you know think of think of a kind of a community process that is about inviting people to envision their community or to really grapple with some of the deep, you know, like like race, really grapple with some of the deep divisions. It's a very different approach. It's a very curious approach as opposed to law, which is about so tell us, you know, it's like so 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 what are the what are the pre established rights and arguments and how can we fit what what we're experiencing into those categories. And that's interesting because I hadn't really thought about the fact that the law is often about wanting very specific information, not information for information's sake or surprising information, mm-hmm. just a desire to fill very particular boxes or check very yeah, particular boxes. Yeah, I mean, in the, again, in the conflict field, you talk we talk about sort of convergence and divergence. And I think of law as a very convergent 
Um, you know, we're always, you know, yeah, what is the information that we need in order to, you know, establish the, the, the elements of the cause of action? Um, and if it's something that isn't in the established causes of action, then it's like, whoop. You know, <laughs> whereas whereas divergence and and if you're if you're trying to come up with a, a creative approach or an approach to a problem that is uh, multicentric, you know, uh-huh. that's got like lots of different things going on. Um, there's almost always a a stage in that process that's like, okay, so let's just throw it open and you know brainstorm is kind of the classic term for it, but just let's let's think divergently let's let's see what's out there before we look closely as to sort of like narrow the path and where we're going and that's not really a law thing yeah yeah so is that what you do in civity that's what well civity is a specific application so civity i mean a lot of my work um, you know, so explain what civity is. Just so civity is a um, is a comes out of the community work that I've been doing for however many years twenty twenty five thirty years, um, realizing that a lot of what makes communities work is relationships, mm-hmm. and that um, I did a um, study with the Arlington County government. Oh gosh, fifteen years ago um, about civic engagement and the and what we heard over and over again is it's it's about how people interact with other people. That's how people experience their community. Relationships matter. And and law is so not about relationships. And I, I as a trained lawyer was like, so there's a disconnect here. And and the other thing about relationships and, and this is really what led to civity is that we have a um, tendency or we're socialized to be risk averse mm-hmm. and to choose to hang with people who are like us. Mm-hmm. And yet communities are about people who are different from us. And that civity is really about saying it's really important for a healthy, resilient community for people to have an attitude and to act on that attitude of saying, it's important for me to be connected with people who are different from me. Not like, as we say in, in our trainings, this is not a BFF. This is not best right. friends forever. But to say, you're a member of my community, and I respect you. I see you. And I, I, and I and think I in the cur- that there's a genuine relationship there. There's it's- an, and that the difference is yeah. not something to be kind of shunted aside. The difference is part of what makes life interesting. And, and I think that the... You know, I had never really thought about civity and curiosity terms, but but coming coming today, I thought there is definitely an element in civity of of being open to the to the unknown yeah. or to the less known to that exploration that you're talking about. About so, I'm going to take a little bit of a risk and 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 kind of be available to connect with someone who I know is part of my community, but who I, it's a little risky, but I'm okay. And that's what civity is about. Yeah. And and being aware that being connected with people who are different is what makes communities. So you have proposed two things that strike me as uh, as both curiosity in, involved, in, infused in some way, and somewhat disruptive. One is actually disruptive leadership in legal education, and the other is what you call a social constructionist civic concept of law. 
where should we start between those two? Because <laughs> I want to talk about both of them. Oh well, let's start. Let's 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 start with the social construction because that that's where I start. That's that's earlier in my thinking. So let's start there. Okay. So, so do you tell want, me more. Yeah. So I think the social construction of law. I mean, in in law, there's this uh, kind of traditional historic debate, as it were, between two points of view, which is that law is based in some sort of natural like natural rights. Uh, Justice Thomas, uh, not my favorite person, um, from a legal point of view, is very, you know, there is just, that's just the way things are. Um, And then there are the positivists who are like, law is, um, you know, it's just completely created by, you know, it's like sort of something that we just make up and then we impose. And And I think that I'm, I think that both of those are, inadequate to describe really what law is. I think of law as something that emerges from conversations between people and institutions, and it is socially constructed, and yet it is also grounded in, ideally, it's it's grounded in the people that law governs. Now, that's not a classic view of law. I think most people think of law as you know, what Congress does, what even what the Arlington County Board does. I think of law much more systemically, so that I think of law as that that certainly does include that kind of formal aspect of law, but that law is grounded in many, 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 many different conversations that people have. So an example of that is, I think, of gay rights and sort of how gay rights have evolved in this country. And we think of the progression between, I mean, I'm a child of, you know, when I grew up and I was living in San Francisco in the late 70s and when gay rights was like very cutting edge, it was it was brand new, right, you know, right. Harvey Milk. It was and, and you think about sort of that in the progression, what, 30 years later, where we are today, that's a that's a legal shift. How did that legal shift happen? That legal shift happened, I think, because. There were, you know, thousands of people who were having conversations. They were coming out with other people. And then there was the AIDS epidemic, which outed people. And the story, our stories about, you know, who was gay, who was lesbian, all of that just changed because there was this vast conversation within the country. And that led to these changes in politics that led to these changes in law. To me, that's the social construction of law. And that's not either a natural rights view or a um, positivist view. And it's very grounded in um, in communities and, and, and in convers- the stories of and those in the stories of those communities. And you can't get there without asking for those stories. No, and if law, yeah. which I think lawyers do all the time, ignores that social grounding, then you have this, I think, very um, very thin, sort of pathetic, very rigid and incurious view of what law is all about, as opposed to what I think it could be and to a large degree what it is, but we don't really talk about it very much. So if you're going to disrupt the pipeline, <laughs> uh, disrupt the legal education pipeline, what does that potentially Look like is that what you're doing? Well, that's what um, that's what I I mean. That's a project, and I think that um, 
if we think of, it's, it's, I think it's a question of how we think about what law is. And I think of law as, as kind of the basic enterprise of how we are going to be with each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if we think about law in that way, then I think that the law as lawyers practice it is just woefully inadequate, just woefully inadequate. Um, and so I think the question of how we're going to um, kind of reimagine law and also imagine like who is going to practice law, not in the traditional sense, but in the sense of how, how, how to help people be with each other the way we want to be with each other. That, that's questions of um, justice. It's questions, it's questions of navigating property. It's questions of all kinds of things that um, lawyers are not particularly uh, available mm-hmm. to help people with at this time, which I think is part of the reason why the legal profession is so um, unpopular in a lot of ways. Hmm. So are there things that you try to teach your students to inoculate them against the environment into which they're moving? Um, I do. I think that that's I, I think there's probably two things that I really try to teach students. One is is to be aware of the structural, um, you know, that that really large, large level. It's like what are the structures that are informing our work? So, for example, when I was teaching professional responsibility, and one of the legal rules has to do with the ethics of prosecutors, and I w- would introduce information about. Um, the racial disproportionality in our prison system and our criminal justice system at this point. It's like, how can you be a prosecutor if you're not a, I mean, how can you be an ethical prosecutor without being aware of the, this racial disproportionality? Because it's so fundamental to the questions of justice in this country. That's being aware of the structural. And at the same time, I would try to teach students about the relational, the very, very small scale relational that, um, trying to think of an example, that if you're, um, if you're working, when I was teaching state and local government law, if you're working in a community, it's about the, the legal structure and it's also all about the relationships. And so being aware of those networks, being aware of how you connect with people in a community is um, just as important, if not more important, than what the legal structure that you're operating within is. Hmm. We're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. I know. This goes me every time. Um, but there is time for the big jar wannabe analogy. So you game for this? I am. I mean, I already made an analogy, law and the bonsai. Let's see see what we've got here. Okay. You can take one. I'm going to take one. We're going to make an analogy to whatever is on the slip of paper. You want to go first or you want me to go? Uh, yeah, I think I want you to go first. Oh, gosh. All right. I have poetry. <laughs> well, that's an easy one. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, curiosity is like poetry because um, it's uh, a way of expressing um, creativity um, and ideas in 
a form that is maybe different than how we typically communicate. What do you have? I have pepper mill. Mm. Pepper mill. Hmm. So I would say that a pepper mill is like curiosity, or curiosity is like a pepper mill. Because I think that curiosity transforms things while keeping their initial essence. Oh, nice. Nice. (laughs) Did you put this one in there or was that one of your coworkers? I don't know. Let me see the handwriting. Maybe I can. No, that's mine. I did that one. Sorry. Okay, Lynn. (laughs) Sorry. I I never know what's coming out here. Okay. And audience, yours is crayons. How is curiosity like crayons? (laughs) All right, I'm guilty of peppermill. Sorry. <clears throat> that was a tough one. <laughs> you did a great job with it, though. <laughs> well, Pama, thank you so much. It's been for a pleasure. Today. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can hear all my previous shows, including the two-part series on challenging racism on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, MixCloud, Facebook, all at Choose to Be Curious or on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. And don't forget to send us your crayons analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Palma Strand, for her wisdom and inspiration. Check out more on Civity, the 2040 Initiative, and Britannica's Curiosity Focus on my Facebook page. Our theme music, of course, is thanks to Sean Ballack. Social media research and other support from our intern, Caroline Kish, more helpful than she can ever know. Thank you, American University. I hope you'll join us again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. Choose to be curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world, using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com.